My name is Ali, and uh, my wife and I, Jill, are here today. We are five weeks married, so it's very exciting. And uh, it's just a joy to be here this morning. I, I think I've never been at a church service where I've been out of breath so much before I've come to speak, and also maybe out of voice with all the singing and the dancing. So it's just been great. And today uh, we are continuing in our series of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we have reached... Uh, Well, I've reached anyway, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. You might be a little bit behind, but we're skipping ahead a little bit today to uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses starting from verse 26. And um, this is basically to put in context, Paul has been writing to the Corinthian church and he's been addressing some issues that have been arising since he's planted the church. He's writing to them from Ephesus. So he's moved on from Corinth after uh, planting the church there. But as he's been away, he's been hearing about a few issues at the Corinthian church of what they've been up to and all the ways that maybe they've fallen away from God and how he's wanting to bring order to this situation. In this passage, he's focusing on how, I suppose, they they conduct themselves um, in a gathered church service, a bit like today. And at the moment uh, in Corinth, it's a bit chaotic. There's everyone is speaking over each other. They're maybe promoting and glorifying themselves. And Paul is urging for them to stop. And today we're going to talk about how does Paul bring order to that church service. And now you might sound that that's like a really boring subject. I promise you it's a bit more exciting than how I've set that up. But it's the order of the Holy Spirit. He brings the Holy Spirit in this place. How do we, uh, I suppose, what does an ordered church service look like under the order of the Spirit? So we find out this from the passages that we're going to read today. But as Juicy has already said, that we are a church that believes that through the Holy Spirit that God speaks today and he is alive. And so we're going to do a bit of theory now and then later we're going to get to some practical. And that's going to be really exciting to try and expose for some of us maybe uh, trying out some spiritual gifts for the first time. You might not have been around it that much. You might not have been around church. This might be your first time. And I just want to say this is a safe space to be and also that actually you might feel that people here are looking a bit weird from the with the back of their heads actually in the front they're even weirder looking so just to make you feel that you might be feeling uncomfortable I'm feeling more uncomfortable I think no I'm not really but why don't we read 1 Corinthians 14 starting from verse 26 it should appear on screen as it does there and also in your bibles or on your phones if you're tech savvy what then shall we say brothers and sisters When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And then we're just going to skip down to verse 37, which says, If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, 
they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Amen. So just to say, um, as a little footnote, that we are a church that love uh, to tackle the parts of the Bible that we find difficult and that we maybe don't understand at first viewing, rather than just the kind of easy passages that we like and maybe make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. But actually, you may have, the eagle-eyed among you may have noticed I've skipped a few verses there, and that's because our lead pastor, Chuck, has actually done um, some really specific talk on women in leadership about those verses. So rather than me... uh, talking about that for five minutes and uh, there's a whole sermon on that that you can look up online it's on the website if you uh, go to the media site go to the sermon library you can find it in women in leadership and i'd really encourage you because it's a really really good talk and shows our values and what we believe in that area so anyway back to me paul here is addressing the church and in regular gatherings and how they worship and praise god together and in particular their use of spiritual gifts They had a tendency for people to be speaking over each other, and Paul wants to bring that order. And we see that in that last verse when it says, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So my question to start off is, what does order look like to you? Is it the kind of war memorial graveyards where a man has gone along and cut the grass with a pair of scissors rather than a normal lawnmower, and all everything is in a line completely as it should be, undisturbed? Does it look like the start of the Truman Show where we're in this idyllic village and all the houses look exactly the same? Or is it a bit like the House of Commons where there's this poor, poor speaker who's just trying to bring order with his like uh, mallet. I know there's a technical term, but I've forgotten it. And everyone is just talking over each other. Does that what order look like to you? Or maybe order is like what you order in a restaurant. So you go to Subway and you order exactly what you want. You say, I want pickles, I don't want gherkins, and I maybe want some more lettuce. And you expect it to be exactly as you want, how your sandwich, your way. Or maybe order might feel like a restriction to you. You feel like, oh, I just want to have freedom. I don't want to be bound by order. Or actually, some of us might be desperate for order. If only I could have order in my house, I would just feel a little bit better. What Paul shows us in this passage is that the order of the Spirit is quite different to anything that we might expect. So what does the order of the Spirit look like? What does an ordered church service look like? Well, the first thing we see for Paul, that one ordered church service looks like, is that everyone gets to play. In verse 26, Paul writes, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Paul here is stressing that the importance that all should be involved in worship together as the body of Christ. It's not just for certain people, but for everyone who comes along. It's not just for the holy huddle at the front or the spirit junkies, but it's for everyone. Everyone who comes along to a church service should feel that they can be involved and they have a chance to play in the service. Now, I know many of you uh, will have been watching the Rugby World Cup. Uh, I've been watching it and, oh man, maybe just have a moment of reflection for Scotland last week. 
I know. What, well, they did very well. They did very well. And I think that if we do a bit better, then, then actually we might win the Six Nations this year, which might be incredible. Um, but yeah, I've just been loving the rugby. And it's just been evident that you can see from the pitch that there's all people of different shapes and sizes and all of them get to be involved. And believe it or not, with my fine physical physique, I used to be a rugby player. I went to a really rough school. Uh, it was called, <laughs> it's called Robert Gordon's College. And um, at this rough school, uh, we had to play rugby instead of football. Now, I was brought up day and night on football, so it took a little bit of adjusting um, to play rugby. But I remember our first lesson. Uh, we were taken up, there's about 150 of us, and uh, we were taken up to these um, playing fields that were called the Himalayas because uh, they were really bumpy. And when you're a first year and you're like 11, it's like, wow. They're like massive, but like looking back at them now, they're they're just like really uneven ground. Uh, probably a health and safety hazard, but there you go. Um, so we were asked to line up at the top of this pitch, and then the our teacher would blow the whistle, and then we'd run all the way down to the bottom of the pitch. And then those that came in the first like half, uh, he just said, "Right, you're the backs." And those that were kind of uh, maybe walking by the end, stopped for a wee break or whatever, maybe sat down, and eventually came to the bottom. He was like, "Right, you're the forwards." Um, so our first year team didn't do very well, and that's maybe why, because of that kind of regime of choosing people. But anyway, it was amazing to see that all my friends in my, in my school class, uh, they all had a role to play on the rugby pitch. There were maybe um, the bigger ones, they would be the forwards, there were the really tall ones with height that I could only dream of. They were like, they were like the locks, the guys that catch the ball in the line out. Um, and then there were the, the smaller, uh, more swift-footed, good-looking ones, talented, uh, and they were the backs, they were the wingers. And um, everyone got to play. There was, there was a role for everyone. And similarly, in the church in Corinth, Paul is saying that everyone can contribute something to the body of the church. Paul has that expectation that we can be active in church. That everyone has, should be ready to prophesy, be ready to sing praises to God, to speak in tongues, to give an interpretation, whatever spiritual gift we should be ready to contribute. That might mean when we are praying and we are waiting on God, someone might start with a word, then someone might sing, then another have a picture, and that be inclusive to everyone. You might have only been coming for a few weeks, just being new to church, understanding this, being part of a small group, and you might feel, oh, God's been speaking to me, but I can't share. I've not been here long enough. That's not true. God and Paul here are saying that there's a safe place to explore the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That maybe doesn't sound like the type of order that I mentioned earlier. But that is the order of the Spirit. And we are allowed to be a bit messy. And that everyone should feel like they have that place. That also means that on a Sunday morning when we're in the car, we can be uh, listening, seeking and praying to God. Asking him what scripture he wants to speak through us. Or if he has any pictures or words for us to use in the congregation. Earlier on. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the body of Christ. And he talks about it just after he's talked about spiritual gifts firstly. Showing that that's important. That we need to have that unity while also talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, just as one body, the one has many parts. But all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. You are the body of Christ. And each of one of you is a part of it. We all have a part to play. From here, it's evident we're asked to be contributors and not just consumers. 
You may have been around a little while. You might just feel you're a bit on the sidelines. You don't, not sure if you want to get involved. But today I want to challenge you to get involved and ask the question, not what am I getting out, but what am I giving out in the church service? The Corinthian church, they were using these spiritual gifts and they were maybe getting a bit wrong. But Paul was still encouraging them to use them. He knew they needed more of the Spirit in their lives. And we need to keep using and practicing these spiritual gifts so we can have more of the Spirit in our lives. So an ordered church service, it firstly looks like that everyone gets to play. Secondly, is that everyone is held to account. Throughout these verses, Paul stresses the importance of making sure that people who are speaking are held to account by the rest of the church. And he underlines this with the little phrase that he says that everything is done so that the church may be built up. Further on, he gives us some guidelines that maybe if people are prophesying, should keep that to manageable numbers. And once someone has spoken, the other one should, should stop. That sounds a bit British, isn't it? Very polite. He's getting some British culture in there. No, no, after you. you, you seems like the spirit is on you now. You go first. Things like that. Also, Paul mentions in verses 32 and 33 that those who are prophesying are in control of their own spirit. That God allows us to be in control. He gives us that responsibility that we aren't taken over and we, are, and we, aren't, we don't know what we're doing, but we're held accountable for what we say and share. And also that when people are sharing, that the rest of the church should be weighing these things up. We shouldn't just be passive, but be active in seeking, is this from God? And I think that's really important, that a church service is ordered by the Spirit. Everything should be weighed by the rest of the congregation. And I have a few useful questions that you can be asking um, about weighing things up, such as, does it glorify God? Is what is being shared for God's glory? Is it in line with Scripture? Is it something that I would think I would find in the Bible? Does it build up the church? Or is it Larry at the back saying there's no sugar again for the teas and coffees and he's really annoyed about this and so is the Lord. I don't think that's building up. Is it said in love? Or is it said in a kind of way to, to make ourselves look better? The Christians in Corinth, they were speaking over each other. They were taking ages and they were saying things that they weren't lining up to these questions. We all need to weigh these up in love. And see if it's God and not just a blessed thought or not just hype as well. And for us in this context, I really feel that Paul is saying that we should be asking these questions to the Corinthian church. Particularly, does it glorify God? Is what I'm bringing glorifying God? Or is it much more for selfish praise? Is it more glory for myself? So a few years ago, I did a, I did a gap year called DNA. Uh, DNA stands for do not abbreviate. Uh, no, it doesn't really. Um, but some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may even have done uh, DNA before. And I, I loved my gap year. You could, we got involved with all sides of the church. And we got some teaching, uh, loads of things. And one thing I particularly remember is that we had these teaching blocks. And there was 13 teaching blocks in the year. Uh, six or seven of them were in, in Scotland. And the rest of them were down in England, uh, down in uh, Brompton. So I remember one in particular, we, we'd gone down to London, we were a bit bleary-eyed because uh, it had been a long travel, but we'd come and we'd had a great time and it was the evening, we were just having some worship before um, someone was going to come and share um, some teaching 
Um, so we just had that time of worship. And then this guy came up who was, who'd um, done a number of uh, teaching lessons before. And he came up and he just said, I just thought as I was um, worshipping God that I had this um, thought that we, we've got a, a new position in our church. Um, and it's a position for someone working uh, with kids and working with students. Um, and it's down in our, uh, our base, which is like south of England. And um, as I was leaving um, my home church to come here today, a lady came up to me and she said, uh, just if uh, by any chance you're going to you mention this, could you please say that I had a picture of uh, someone, a young man in a green jumper, almost like a Robin Hood figure. And I think that might line up with this job. And then all eyes were on me as I was wearing my favorite green hoodie. Now, to put into context, this was near the end of the year. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing next. It was kind of like gap year, doing a gap year because job. So I was like, what do I do next? And everyone was like really encouraging. It's like, Ali, you're wearing a green jumper. You should totally go for this. This is amazing. This is from God. I was like, yeah, yeah. This green jumper is a very holy jumper. I feel incredibly anointed with this jumper. Now, kids, kids work, student work. Kids work's not really my thing. Never really been my thing. Student work, I'd just been a student for four years, so I wasn't really up for that chat again. You know, I was like, ah, yeah. But I was like, oh, well, the green jumper says so, so therefore, it must be me. And I was telling everyone, I was like, I'm going to go down to England. I'm going to do this kids and student work. I'm just going to be like a hero like that. And everyone was like, okay, yeah, that sounds a bit weird, but okay, we'll go for that. And then it took a really good friend of mine to sit me down and to say, Ali, is that... For God's glory or is that for your glory and I thought about it and I realized that I had believed my own hype and that actually that wasn't for me at all that wasn't God's plan for me at all I was so thankful that for that person to say that to to take me away from that path and to put me back onto God's path in an ordered church service that is ordered by the Holy Spirit we are all held to account that what we bring is in line with the Bible, is encouraging, and is for God's glory, not our own. Two examples in the Old Testament were um, that show God's glory, I find amazing. One is um, of 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is in a bit of a face-off with the prophets of Baal. And they're basically going to find out who whose God is is the real God. And uh, they do this by like a fire contest, which is quite cool. So they just set up these two altars, and then they're going to like, which which God is going to set their altar on fire? And the prophets of Baal, uh, they start off, and they're like, uh, they've set their altar up. And then they're like singing away. I like to think they're singing like, take that, relight my fire. Like, relight my fire to Baal. And like, nothing's happening. And they're like, oh, come on, Baal. What's going on? And Elijah's like, I think he's sleeping. You need to sing louder. And then they're like, oh, come on. And they're trying all this stuff. Nothing happens. Then Elijah, what does he do? He covers the altar in like 12 gallons of water. Something that you, you couldn't set alight. And he prays to God. And suddenly, bang. Fire comes down from heaven, licks up all the water, sets the altar on fire. There is no way that Elijah could have done that himself. It was all God, and he gives all glory to God. Similarly, in the story of Gideon, in the book of Judges, uh, we see this guy Gideon who's asked to face the Midianite army. He starts off with like 30,000 men. He's like, okay, that's, that's a good amount of guys. I, again, like to imagine it. It's Mini Minis taking on the All Blacks. 
And it's like, okay, yeah, we've got a few decent players that we could use. And then God whittles it down. He, he keeps on making these regulations to say, keep whittling it down. Keep the numbers down to it's like 300. So you're stood with this last mad mini mini against the All Blacks. And you're like, God, we need you now. And God delivers the Midianite army into their hands. It's abundantly clear that God is the only one who is responsible for those miracles. And therefore, he receives all the glory. So when we bring our gift, our word, our song, whatever we bring to the table, we give all glory to God. And I read this passage and I make sure I'm like, I, don't, I want to glorify God. I don't want to glorify myself and not others. And for, for us as City Church, um, we've got many sites. I just really think that for us, maybe God is speaking to us that it's great what's happening, but we need to remember that God is the reason and he is why people are coming here. And make sure we don't forget that. We don't get, let's not get caught up in programs or new ministries or caught up in atmosphere that we don't bring God into the conversation. And often I can find myself talking about church and not mentioning God. I can say this, this happened, it was really good, but actually, where was God in that? Let's not put others on a pedestal or come because we like that worship leader or think that that preacher is really funny, but because we experience the living God on a Sunday morning. So a challenge for me and maybe for you is that in my encouragement of people that I want to make sure that I focus on the supernatural and not just the natural. So maybe, um, I don't know, you might not think this, but if you want to encourage me after, you might want to say that God really spoke to me through this point as opposed to just your banter was on point. Or for the worship band, they did such a great job, but it was like there was a few songs where you just left space where the Holy Spirit was moving. and That's amazing, as opposed to you just got all the chords in the right way and that was great. We want to focus on that supernatural and not just the natural and that God can be glorified through that. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't encourage, don't encourage people. Don't stop encouraging people. We want to be an encouraging church, but let's make sure that we focus on what God has been working and in through people as opposed to just themselves. In an ordered church service, everyone gets to play. Everyone is held to account. And everyone should be expecting. The second last verse of this um, passage, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That's an incredible reaction to what the church has been doing with the gifts they've been receiving. If I was in Paul's shoes, I would be like, you messed up, guys. Just, just leave it. Just take a break. Take a knee. Uh, don't bother with the gifts. We'll, we'll come back to it. But Paul is encouraging them to be eager to prophesy and to speak in tongues. And he also encourages the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 where he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. He's encouraging them to use these gifts they've wasted so far. Why? Well, Paul has seen what they need and he knows that they need the Spirit working in their lives. And that's the remedy they require. In Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit are mentioned, such as love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. And Paul knows that that's what they need in their church service. That's what they need in their lives. And the only way for them to grow in the Spirit is to keep on pressing unto God and to be expectant for what he will do in their lives. 
I love this quote by John Wimber that says, It's neat and tidy in the graveyard, but messy and noisy in the nursery. And that's where the life is. I want to be where the life is. I don't want to be in a graveyard church where nothing happens, but I want to be in the noisy, mer- the noisy nursery where things happen, where God moves. And the interesting part about this passage is it doesn't just say everyone will receive the gifts that they always have. Every week they'll get the same one. But there are so many options that people can bring that we shouldn't limit ourselves to what we receive normally, but be expectant for God to do something new in us. So we should be expectant for God to, uh, to move in us in a new way. And I say expectant, I don't say expectation. Expectation, I find, we can often mean that we limit ourselves. That, oh, okay, this is what I'm expecting. And maybe that's all we get. But if we just have that expectancy, then we can let God uh, change our expectations. And not limit him to, to what we want him to do, but actually do whatever he wants. One small example of that is that uh, my lovely, beautiful, wonderful wife, Jill, um, has often said that church sometimes, she struggles because um, everyone at the front gives pictures. And she would say that she's not a very uh, picture person, that she would more get words of knowledge or words um, from the Bible rather than, than pictures herself. So we kind of, I suppose, kind of accepted that. We kind of thought, okay, God's not going to speak to Jill through pictures, but Recently, just as we've been praying, we've been praying for a new thing to happen in, in both our lives and be praying for Jill for a new thing to happen in this new season. God's just, every time Jill prays, God's been speaking to her through pictures. It's just been amazing. I just think, wow, what an incredible loving God we have. If we don't limit him, he can do whatever. Sometimes we count ourselves out and say, God won't speak to me like that or God won't use me. We limit him. And we put him in a way that is manageable. But Jesus says in Luke 11, he says, Which of your fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We just need to ask God to seek him and to pour out his spirit on us with his good gifts. To finish with, I was at a party a number of years ago. I've been invited to parties since then, but there's one I I particularly remember, just in case you were wondering. Um, And it was a party that one of my best friends from school, Duncan, had organised. And it was a surprise party for his girlfriend. Uh, His girlfriend was Australian, so... I don't know if they had the tradition of surprise parties in Australia or not. I'm not sure, but she'd never had a surprise party before. So I thought, oh, this, he thought this would be a nice idea. So his house was far out of town um, and his girlfriend was coming on the bus and we were there in his front room and there must have been about 40 or 50 of us crammed into this living room. And uh, she was due to come at about seven o'clock at night, but because um, the kind of buses were a bit running a bit late, she didn't get there till like half seven. And the atmosphere was building in that room and everyone was just so excited and so expectant for her to come through the door and uh, I had uh, positioned myself on a sofa to uh, to do a, a Frankenstein surprise now what a Frankenstein surprise is like you lie down and then you kind of come up like that and you're like hello surprise so so I, even more excitement for me I was really excited by that but when she came through the door that room just erupted 
And everyone was just so excited to see her. And she was so overcome with emotion. She just started crying. Um, she maybe ran out of the room for a second, which was a little bit annoying. But she came back in, which is all good. And she couldn't believe that she would receive such a warm welcome. She couldn't believe that all those people were there for her. And for me, that's a picture of God. He's waiting for us to seek his Holy Spirit. And he has a party waiting for us when we walk through that door. And we should be expecting to receive that welcome. You may have been coming to church for a long time. You may have um, been a Christian for a long time. But you might feel just so dry. Be expecting that God is waiting for you. And he can surprise you with his gifts. This might be the first time you've ever been here today. You have no idea what you've come to. But God is waiting for you to ask you into his life with that party and all those gifts if you just ask. Why don't we stand and I'll pray.